Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. want to in, encourage you, invite you to um, delve with me into the Word of God. We're going to cover quite a few passages of Scripture. Most of those will be placed, projected behind us using the New King James Version. And um, Shelby did steal a little of my thunder because I was going to compliment Jordan on getting up and reading from the Torah. You know, the scroll has no vowels and no punctuation. Well done. <laughs> So we're going to be speaking about, uh, first of all, from the Brit Hadashah, from the New Covenant. And I want to share a passage with you from 1 Peter chapter 2. It's one that we've been looking at from several different directions, uh, not only here on Shabbat morning, but also on Tuesday. And this, this passage, first of all, consider the author. author the author is Kepha, or Peter. And consider his approach and what he says. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 21, says this. For to this you were called, because Yeshua also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And then there's this description of Yeshua. It says, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. And that's quite a description, isn't it? It goes on from there, by the way, to some other descriptives of Yeshua. But these two things, describing Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah says, he committed no sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that amazing. Because the word of God is so clear that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I, 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 there's no way for any of us to look back into our own life and to realize the very first time that we crossed that line of sin. But I, I can promise you, according to the authority of the word of God, that we have all crossed that line. Some of us crossed it probably more times than others. And the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is working us to get to this place in our life where we stop crossing that line and we start walking blamelessly with the Lord. So it says of Yeshua, Kepha, Peter, who knew the Lord personally. I mean, when I say personally, he knew him face to face. He heard Yeshua's tone of voice. He walked right alongside of Yeshua many times, the, the scripture points out. He was there with him almost from the very beginning of his ministry. He was there with Yeshua all that time, and he saw him well. He's one of the people that could have told us what color his eyes or what color his hair was, etc., etc., how tall he was. What tone of voice did he use when he said this parable or when he did that teaching? This is Kepha. And after all his knowledge of Yeshua, after walking with Yeshua through all that he did, here afterwards, because this, this epistle was written after Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection, how does he describe Yeshua? He says he, was, he committed no sin. This is a first-hand eyewitness testimony. He committed no sin. But it also goes on and says, nor was deceit. The Hebrew idea of deceit involves lies, uh, deception, delusion, the things that we've already heard about today. It says none of that was found in his mouth. Not only did he not commit sin, but he didn't speak astray either. Imagine that. I mean, I marvel at that. Blessed be the name of our Messiah. There's none like unto him. 
And he continued Kepha in this writing. We don't have time uh, to go through all of chapter 2, and maybe you will on your spare time, First Peter chapter 2. But he continues to describe some of Yeshua's interactions in life. Have you had some interactions in your life? Yes, we all do. Even today you've had interactions in your life. Hopefully, they've been good interactions. I mean, uh, if you were pulled over by the, uh, the, the, uh, the police for speeding, well, I don't know about that one. But hopefully, your interactions here over a bagel before we started the service, all this has been good, your interactions with we, we processed the Torah through the congregation. I hope all that's good. And Yeshua had interactions in his life, including at times when he was mistreated. Now, here's the sinless one who hasn't said anything astray, yet he is mistreated. Worse, Kepha describes and gives testimony, says that he was reviled. He was spoken badly of, and the reviles and even a step up from being spoken badly of. Or step down would be a better way to say it. That's how he describes Yeshua. This, the one who committed the soul, there was no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. There was no untruth in his words, etc. And there he was. He was reviled and mistreated. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Yeshua went through a lot for us. Friends here today, please understand that. He went through all that he did, the reviling, the mistreatment, all he did, he did that with you in mind, with us in mind. He vicariously went through uh, the sufferings for us. As the word of God says, as Rav Shul Paul would later say and write, Paul, who was a Pharisee who knew well the temple system, he said that Yeshua was made sin for us. He's made a sin sacrifice for us. Him who knew no sin was made to be sin, a sin sacrifice for us. Why? Ultimate purpose in mind. So that we might become, that we might walk in, that we might live in the righteousness of God, not in the ways of this world. Now, Yeshua continually expressed throughout his life, if you look carefully at what he said, you look carefully at what's recorded in the Brit Hadashah in the New Covenant, he continually expressed something. And in, in his very being, in his words, in his actions, and who he was and who he represented, he expressed, and again, there were no errors in his ways or in his words, which is amazing. But he continually expressed the very nature and character of the creator of the universe. Hebrews chapter 1 describes that like this in verse 2. It says, God has spoken to us by his Son. Has he spoken to you through Yeshua the Messiah? He certainly has in my life. God has spoken to us by his Son, who is heir of all things, through whom also all things were created. How much was created with Yeshua involved? All things. It says and continues in Hebrews chapter 1, Yeshua is the brightness of his glory. In other words, he's the Shekinah. He's the Shekinah revealed. The very glory of God revealed. And he's the express image. Notice this, please the express image of his person. And Yeshua upholds all things by the word of his power. And then again, it mentions this, Yeshua himself purged our sins. If there's reason for dancing, Carmen, that's one of them right there. He purged our sins. He laid on his life for our sins. And frankly, friends, I never get tired of that message. Because it seems like every day I have to continue to keep pressing on in that high calling of Messiah. How about you? Do you keep pressing on in the high calling of Messiah? Yeshua himself purged our sins. And then it says this, and he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's a, a Hebraic way of saying that he is in the place of authority. He's seated in the place not just of authority, as the world deems authority, but authority, eternal authority. And he's not going to be supplanted from his throne. <laughs> he's not going to be supplanted. Now, according to John chapter 14, verse 30, 
Messiah Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, just before he was crucified, if you read carefully the, the Besorah, the, the, the Gospel of Yohanan, of John, and you read and you get in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, you get some of the, the words and the teachings and the ideas that he pronounced to his closest followers most of the time in those chapters just before he was betrayed. One of these passages, he says this. He says, the ruler of this world is coming. And the ruler of this world, Yeshua said, has nothing in me. Nothing in me. What a statement. Wow. And Peter was there, the very person we just quoted from his, his, his epistle, 1 Peter. Peter was there listening as Yeshua made this statement and the other statements he makes in John 13 through 17. He was there listening when Yeshua said, the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. The enemy has nothing in me, Yeshua said. And Peter was one of the people close to him hearing him say this, looking at his facial expression and understanding what he was saying. He certainly got the point. And after Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection from the dead, Peter had time to consider all that he had heard Yeshua say. And there was a lot he heard Yeshua say. There's a transfiguration on Matthew, in Matthew chapter 17 where Peter, James, and John are brought up onto this high mountain. Yeshua's transfigured before him. It says his garments were whiter than even the best launderer could do, the, the best tide in the world, or fab, or whatever you want to call it. And describes Yeshua's appearance as whiter than the best launderer could ever do. There's Peter looking, watching, listening, sometimes questioning, sometimes responding to the question. There's Peter. And I'll remind you, what was Peter's conclusion? Well, when we read his epistle, his conclusion was some of what I began this very message with. He understood after assessing all that he saw, all that he witnessed, all that he heard, all the teachings that he sat at the feet of Yeshua with, all the personal interactions, all the, the, the big three Peter, James, and John type interactions with Yeshua the Messiah, Peter concluded that Yeshua committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He, Peter, a close-hand observer, could find no fault with him. Yet Yeshua was reviled, and he was mistreated, and he went through all that for you today, all of that. Now Yeshua often considered the state of affairs in his world. Peter was there to hear some of this. So was Matthew. So was Mark. So was Yohanan John. So were the other apostles. And Yeshua often considered what was going on in the world around him. He made comments about what was happening in the world around him. Have you ever considered the affairs of the world around us today? How many of you can honestly say that you've had some uh, serious prayer about what you see going on? I'm one of them. And the news is, is uh, you know, putting, pushing stuff out to us in, in the way that it chooses, and you just wonder what's true and what's false. But there are certain things we know, that the world is a desperate place for many. For those that don't know the Lord, there's this, this and, and their life is not anchored in the Messiah. One of the early symbols of the first believers was an anchor. He's the anchor of our faith. And those that are not anchored in Messiah, this world is, has it so many, it's, it's, there's so many ups and downs to it, and it just seems like it's more and more down, 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 down. Yeshua commented often on the affairs that was going on around him, things that he saw. We have some of his greatest sayings that are repeated the most often, such as, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Different ideas when he spoke about marriage or comments that were going on within the rabbinic community, things that the rabbis of his day were speaking of. Questions like, which is the greatest of all the commandments? We know now we call it the Taryag, the 613 commandments. And Yeshua points out that, you know, the greatest is the one we say here every Shabbat. I'm so glad we do this. I hope it's not wrote to you. 
As we face east, as Josh so eloquently did today, as we face to the east, you know what? If we lived over in China, (laughs) we'd be facing to the west, (laughs) but that's another story. As we face east and we recall and we we repeat uh, Devarim chapter 6, verse 4, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the God, and you shall love the Lord your God. Those type of things. He, he commented on these things. And if you're an acute observer of what's happening in our world today, you might characterize some of what you feel inside, and I can't speak for you, but you might characterize some of what you, you, you feel inside as a deep concern for humanity. And in fact, it may even be a, an acute concern for the state of affairs going on right now in this country who doesn't ache when you see what's happened in places like Ukraine and the wars going on in Mali and other places in Africa and other places across the world, all this happening. So we, we, we can just see so little of it, just so little of it's projected to us through those selectively projected to us. But I can promise you that God sees it all. And wherever there are hearts crying out to him, and may it be here, when there are hearts crying out to him, his ears are attentive to their cries. Now, there's some tough things happening, but there's also some glorious things happening. And let's be, let's be fair about it. True, right now, there are many wonderful servants of God that can be found in places like Central America and Honduras and Nicaragua, places like that. Or in South America and Brazil and other places. There are wonderful servants of God that can be found in Africa. Some of the most devoted servants of God are in Africa today. They, uh, we, we sometimes may, we may not vocalize, we complain that we have to stand for five minutes in the service. But it's well known that many African believers will stand for hours. And there may be complaints, well, he's, that's, that speaker spoke too long over there. They may stand for hours and, and, and want to hear more. That's just not an axiomatic statement. That's a reality of what's happening. And in Asia as well, in places like Iran, where they're meeting in house congregations. They're meeting in house congregations knowing that the door could be busted in and they could be taken and taken away and not seen again by their family. And they're meeting there. There are a lot of good things happen. The Lord is bringing many into his kingdom in these last days. And don't you be left out. Don't think you got it all figured out. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's a scripture Pam shared with us behind the stage before we came out here. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Don't think you got it all figured out. We need the grace of God as ever. We need the grace of God. And following him is a daily matter for us. And it's true there are many effective ministries across the face of the earth. I'm I'm excited about what's happening in many countries across the face of the earth. It's true. It's happening all over the globe. There are believers in basically every country. Even Saudi Arabia has some believers. Now, they're not meeting openly like we are today. But they're there, and there are many good things that we should note about what's happening in this generation. The gospel is spread throughout all the earth. The scriptures are now widely available in hundreds of different dialects. Do you realize a few centuries ago, there were only a few languages that had the actual scriptures translated from the Greek and Hebrew available to them? And how are we now? We have how many different translations on our Bibles, uh, on our telephones, or for some of us in in our Bible books that we have? How many different translations do we have? How many different native languages now, whether it be Hungarian or whether it be uh, Swahili, there are all these languages have translations of the Scripture. That's a good thing. And dare I talk about the Jewish people? I mean, think of what's happened now. The Jewish people have regathered in our ancient homeland. Seventy-five years now since the formal declaration in May of 1948 of Israel as a nation among the nations. Seventy-five years. 
Now, I wasn't there when that happened, but I can tell you this, there were probably those among those listening in Tel Aviv when David Ben-Gurion declared, yes, Israel is a nation, we are now a nation now. There were probably those listening that they didn't vocalize, said, oi, gavolt, we're not going to make it a year. We're not going to make it a year. We're on 75 years now of Israel. I said, not, not just a nation that's getting by, because there's lots of tension in Israel right now, but not just a nation, but a nation that's thriving with some of the best fruits and vegetables, you can have some of the best high tech you can imagine, some of the most beautiful beaches you can imagine, thriving artistically, or just in every way, in the Hebrew language, spoken more and more. We have a great Hebrew teacher here with Danielle, a great Hebrew teacher, a fluent native speaker. The Hebrew language spoken more and more around the world. There's a growing Messianic Jewish remnant of believers connected to the land of Israel right now. And in Israel proper, there are basically every city now has a Messianic synagogue or congregation is how they would call it. All over the world now, Messianic congregations have sprung up. From 75 years ago, where there were very few Jewish believers in Israel, it's, there's increasing numbers. They don't know how many thousands of believers. Native-born Israelites, native-born Israelis, Hebrew speakers that are now believers. God's doing a lot of good things. And then let's talk about the church. There's some amazing things happening in the church. And that is in also in connection to what we might call biblical Judaism. It's not that unusual to hear a shofar now. It's not that unusual to, to, to learn of a church that wants to celebrate Passover or is interested in Sukkot. It's not that unusual now. I can remember years ago, it was very, it was, what's the saying down in the south? Rarer than hen's teeth. It was rarer than hen's teeth to see a church that was even wanted anything to do with anything like that, not to mention Israeli dance, those type of things, or the Hebrew language. God is doing a lot of good things across the face of the earth. And I think most importantly, and I will emphasize this here, most importantly is he is bringing in more and more people into his kingdom it's almost a, a time of decision for everyone. Who will you serve? Will you serve the Lord or will you serve someone else? Because if you're not serving the Lord, you're serving someone else. Now, I would be off kilter, though, if I only mentioned such good things like I just mentioned. My presentation would be off kilter because it's an unrealistic thing. That's not all that's happening in the world. There are some pretty difficult things happening. I mean, the media today is awash. It's awash with ungodly presentations. I've noticed in our household, we basically don't turn the television on. The weather, I confess to the weather, watching the weather. But in Oklahoma, that's par for the course. You watch the weather. How many other weather people are around here? I mean, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, I saw the weather. It's going to be okay today. The airwaves are full of ungodly communication. It's, all, it's turned off in our house most of the time. Many of our schools no longer are teaching respect. Shelby spoke a bit about that in his announcements they're not teaching respect and respect for authority or respecting ladies or those type of things. They're not teaching discipline. They're not even projecting godliness as a, as a goal in life or, or other meritorious principles that could be projected to the young when they're so formidable and when they, they, they can grasp these things and start to realize, hey, this is a formidable thing to do and this is the way I should go in my life. And hence, so many, including my own children, so many of us pull out of the public school because they don't like what's give, being given to them. I think the real answer to the education equation is each one needs to serve the Lord in the way that the Lord leads them. For some, it is to go into the public school. For others, not. Thankfully, at this time in our, in our nation, there's the opportunity to go both directions if you so will and you can afford to do it. 
And today, any person can have a ready audience through the World Wide Web, appropriately named the Web. A ready audience where you don't even need to interact face-to-face in real person. Like when we, I love when we walk the tour here like we did today, and I get to look people in the eye and shake their hands and say, Shabbat Shalom, or how are you? I love that, that face-to-face contact. It works very well if you're at peace with everyone. It's a little more difficult if you're not walking at peace with your neighbor and, you know, Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> Or you go past, or you, (laughs) oh, my legs bother me. But people now have a ready audience. Influencers, they're called. There's a major problem here, and I don't know, mission control, do we get this? I don't know. But there's a major problem here, and it's a burgeoning problem, and it's a serious problem, and it's going to have great increasing impact on us unless something's done about it. But we don't know the lives of these people. They're wanting to influence us, but we don't know how they live. Because it's pretty easy to put on a veneer, a false front, and inside to be, uh, you know, a, a, a son of Sheol or a daughter of Sheol in your approach. How different it is, you know, now, compared to what we read in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, where it says, So the Lord spoke to Moshe face to face. It doesn't stop there, by the way. As a man speaks to his friend. What do we have going on through the web, through the internet? Be careful, friends. Be careful with this. Be careful. Let, let the Holy Spirit be your influencer. Let the Word of God be your influencer. Let your community of godliness be an influence to you. I don't even need to mention the hatred of Israel that's out there. Sometimes I shudder. I don't look for it, and you find it. The hatred of Israel, and, it, 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 and it's not only the Jewish state, and it's coming from both sides of the political spectrum, from the left and from the right. And it's propagated online anonymously. Do you really know if the name of the person that's signing their email, and most of them aren't signed, or their, their, uh, their text message, or whatever they're putting out there, do you really know anything about them? Do you know, if, is that really them? There's so much fishing going on. I'm not talking about trout fishing or bass fishing. I'm talking about fishing to get our information and to abuse us in that sense to steal from our bank accounts. How many of you have had your credit card number? I'm curious. How many have had your credit card number taken at one time or another? Go ahead, raise them high, because my hand's up. Yeah, look at this in our congregation. Someone got your information. In the case, what happened with us, someone got our information, and they started purchasing things in San Francisco, California. I've never been to San Francisco, California. (laughs) Don't have anything to do with San Francisco, California. (laughs) Thankfully, uh, my wife checks every night, every day, checks our accounts to make sure. Why? Because we have to. We have to. And we ended up having to be issued a brand new credit card there, and we have to watch that carefully. And you know, this hatred that's out there online, And I pray I'm wrong about this. Right now, it may be a trickle of hatred towards the Jewish people or towards Israel. And it trickles too much, in my opinion. But I'm I'm concerned that over a matter of time, and as it becomes more and more acceptable to be that way, to think that way, and to speak that way, and act that way towards the Jewish people or towards the state of Israel, which is the only Jewish state, by the way, I'm afraid that that trickle of hatred that seems to be out there now is going to become a raging torrent of hatred. And I pray I'm wrong about that. I pray I'm wrong. We're told in Leviticus 19, verse 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Yeshua said also in John 13, verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And you know, friends, For some, it's much easier. It remains easier 
to give in to hatred than to learn how to conduct oneself with love towards others. That's a real man. That's a real woman that really takes the man and says, I want to walk in the love of God towards others. It takes a courageous person for that. It doesn't take a whole lot to be a hater. It doesn't take a whole lot at all there. Now, the enemy's working feverishly, and I want to dovetail now into this final section of my message to you today. It may surprise us to realize that Yeshua spoke of this spiritual dynamic like I'm talking about now. He used other terms, but I think you'll see the connectors. He spoke, he spoke about the Word of God existing alongside the lies of the enemy. There they are simultaneously existing. I'm referencing Matthew chapter 13. Let me read this to you. Begin with verse 24. The testimony of the text is, it says in verse 24, Matthew 13, another parable Yeshua put forth to them saying, Machut the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Most of us realize that tares is a weed and it looks similar to wheat. Verse 26, but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? Get all those tares out of there? Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. And verse 30 continues and says, Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, thankfully, this is one of the parables. There are only a few of these parables, by the way, in which we are given the interpretation of it from the one who spoke it, Yeshua himself. And this is one of those few parables that has Yeshua's interpretation attached to it. So let's look at his explanation. It's also found in Matthew 13, beginning with verse 36. It says, then Yeshua sent the multitude away, and he went into the house. And, and listen, he goes into the house, and this is, according to this text, this is the first thing they approach him about. Notice what they say to him. And his disciples, his Talmudim, came to him, and they were saying, like, explain to us the parable of the tales of the tares of the field. That says to me that they were thinking about this parable. They were trying to understand it. Now, for you or me, we perhaps have had a chance over our walk with the Lord to delve into this parable. But for them, and that was Peter there among them, for them, this is the first blush here of it. And they were pondering, what's this about? What's he talking about? And thankfully, he answered their question. In verse 37 of Matthew chapter 13, Yeshua answered and said to them, very straightforward, by the way, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. How many of you are glad that Yeshua made this clear for us? I am. Because we could go all over the place trying to figure out what this is about, and everyone would have their own private and personal interpretation. But in this one, he gives it to us. It continues in verse 40. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his malachim, his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. And those who practice lawlessness. 
And guess what? And these are his words. I know they're not acceptable in much of society now, and we'll cast them into the furnace of fire. Guess what? The next words are also his too. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father. And Yeshua concludes and he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does he mean by that? In this case, he's saying, I hope you're getting this. I hope you're really hearing what I'm saying to you. Now, there's much to talk about this parable, but there are at least three major issues that Yeshua identifies in this parable of the tares of the field. And major issue number one is this. There are good seeds, those he called the sons of the kingdom, and there are bad seeds, sons of the wicked one. They're identified within the parable. There are individuals that are really working on his side and those that are working on the enemy's side. Do we have that also happening in our modern society? He had it in the first century. Do we have that happen in our modern society? My answer to you would be yes, we do. Are they growing up right alongside of everyone else, the good and the evil? Are they right alongside of everyone's like the wheat and the tares? Yes, they are. And it's often very difficult to determine that. I'm so thankful that the Lord sees all things, and at the end of the age, he's going to rectify this whole matter. May you be found on his side on that day. In fact, get a head start and be on his side now and for the days ahead. The term the sons of, this Hebraism, b'nai, the sons of, it expresses the idea of children, children who, who work in tandem with their father or with their master. And Yeshua said some are working as sons of their heavenly father, sons of the master, but there are some who are not. And he doesn't seem to leave a middle ground. Did you notice that? There's no other option. You're either with him or against him. There's no other option. And you know what? In our lives, we're doing one or the other. And some of us say, well, I want to be kind of in the middle. Well, Revelation solves that. It says the lukewarm he spews out of his mouth. I want to be this or that. I, I want to be in the middle. I want to play both sides. I want to be on both teams. I want to be on both teams. You can't do that. It doesn't work. You're with one or the other. And you know what else? The stakes are eternally high eternally high. Yeshua said it this way in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. He boldly stated this. He said this, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And Peter, who heard Yeshua make this statement, would later write in 2 Peter, Yeshua was there listening when Yeshua said, uh, Peter was there listening when Yeshua said, he who is not with me is against me, and he who doesn't gather with me scatters abroad. And then later on, Peter in his second epistle, in chapter 1, verse 10, he says this, therefore, brethren, <laughs> and you can almost see him hearkening back to some of the things he heard Yeshua say, maybe even this one, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. You can hear Peter saying, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election what? Sure. Be even more diligent. So how do we make our calling and election sure? I think that's a fair question. I mean, he uses that, that term, kepha does, Peter does, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Be diligent to make, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Well, how do we make our calling and election sure? There are many possible answers to that, but for, for one thing, we make our calling and election sure by being faithful to God. Whether human eyes see us or not, we are faithful to God. We want to be faithful to Him in every area of our life. We want to be morally faithful to God. We want to be vocally faithful to God in the things we say. 
We want our thought life to be faithful to God. We want to use our time in a way that shows faithfulness to God. And our talents, the things that we're able to do. Many of you should be glad that I'm not working on the AC system here. You should be glad. But I'm thankful for those that have that kind of talent. Now, we need to use those talents for the kingdom. And then, of course, Mamon finances our finances. We need to be faithful with our finances. One of the things Yeshua most spoke about was how we deal with finances, how we deal with material things, and what an indicator it is of what's happening deep inside of us, how we deal with finances. And we want to make sure we're faithful in our spiritual community that we're a part of and that our deeds, our actions show faithfulness. And we're, if we are faithful in these areas, if we are, we will truly be sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. Yeshua also brought up a second issue, or we can find a second major issue in the parable of the tares, and that is this one. There is an enemy, and he is the wicked one, not the good one. <laughs> Now, we've spoken many times of how that passage in Isaiah, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, how that's coming up more and more in, in believing circles because we have a society that's often calling things that are evil in the sight of God. They're saying, no, it's okay. It's good. It's legal. It's all right. But that's not the determining factor of what's right. What's determining factor is what's right in the sight of God. Ultimately, that's where the buck stops, right there with him. He has, as I like to say, he has the last word in all this matter. But there is an enemy, and he is the wicked one. And this seems so simple, yet our enemy works overtime trying to convince us that our enemy is actually made of flesh and blood when Scripture is clear and says that we don't war against, we don't fight against flesh and blood. There are principalities and powers and the, the, the evil ones of darkness. That, that's our real battleground. And yet so often we take our sword and we cut off Malchus's ear. Malchus was the high priest's servant. And Peter, whom I referenced quite a few times, did a pretty good job of cutting off Malchus's ear at Gethsemane. And as so often happens in our lives, Yeshua had to work it through, and he healed Malchus's ear at Gethsemane after, after Peter cut it off. But anytime there are unresolved issues that are festering between us or in our life with individuals we have relationship with, when there are unresolved issues, there is room being given to the enemy. Be clear about that. We're commanded in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 25, Therefore, putting away, what's that next word? Lying. There was no deceit, no untruth in Yeshua's mouth. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. And in another place it says, the same author says, speak the truth how? In love. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, which gives us the idea to deal with issues as they arise and don't let them fester. And then he capsulizes this in this last phrase, six words, nor give place to who? The devil. Don't give place. And lastly, a third major issue, there will come an end of the age. How many of you believe there's an end coming? <laughs> It's coming. Each day it's actually closer than it was. It's closer now than when you entered into the sanctuary. It's closer. And on an individual level, we don't know the day nor the hour, which will be our final breath. We don't know. So we should serve the Lord now while it's still day. Tomorrow is in hours. We don't know. I've seen it many times in my life, and so have you probably where a person that you interacted with, communicated with the next day, they're gone. They're not there anymore. There will come an end of the age, and at that time, when that happens, God will determine who is who. How do I say it? 
Who is who? He'll determine that. He'll know those who are, are those who are his and those who are his servants. He'll know because you've been cultivating faithfulness. And you're working in every area of your life to be increasingly faithful to God. And you're not living for selfish means or for your own desires or your own will or to do your own thing. But you're living to serve the Lord because you know he loves you. He gave his life for you that you've been redeemed with a great price, the blood of the lamb, the blameless, spotless lamb of God. And he'll know those who are his, and conversely, he'll know those who are not his. That final day, he's going to make that determination. This one's mine. This one's not. And by his decree, catch this. By his decree, each side will experience a remarkably different fate. Now, that's an unpopular statement in our society now in many circles. There's this desire to say that all people who do evil and all people who do good, they're all going to end up in the same place. And, you know, God is love and he'll, you know, smooth it all out. My reading of Scripture and perhaps... There's a more depth than I could even understand to this, but my reading of Scripture is that there's remarkably different fates for those who serve God and those who don't. And this was the very crux, the very crux of the explanation Yeshua gave of his parable. This may be one of the reasons why Peter and those with him, they, when soon as Yeshua got into the house, they asked him, what was this parable about, Lord? Could you explain this to us? That was the first time they'd ever heard those words. We've looked at it many times in our Bible. So let me read to you again how Yeshua explained this parable. Matthew 13, verse 41. Here's what Yeshua said. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Wow. My suspicion, and I think it's the right suspicion here, is that what Yeshua said is going to come to pass. In fact, I cannot find one place in anything he said where it hasn't come to pass. Some still waits to be in process, some still still in process, but it will come to pass. The Son of Man will send out his angels, they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. Are you a practicer of lawlessness? Another way to say that is a person that does their own thing and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I don't know what is stirring in your heart today when it comes to serving God, but I sincerely advise you this in the name of the Lord here today. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. Do not resist him. Instead, yield to him. Yield everything to him. And cultivate faithfulness, as one translation describes in the Psalms. Cultivate faithfulness. It takes some work sometimes to get to a, a place of increased faithfulness, but work, work that out. Get increasingly faithful in those areas of your life where you're living and doing your own thing. Cultivate faithfulness in each area of your life knowing that as you do so and as you work at that and you look to God for his grace and his enablement and his powerment that God sees all that you're doing and God will have the last word and he will give to his people an exceedingly great reward. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard. We can't even imagine what good things God has laid up for those who serve him here. That's where I'm banking on. Where are you banking? So speaking of last words, I'll conclude and give Yeshua the last word here today. And you see, immediately after Yeshua spoke the parable of the tares of the field, 
And after he said these words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Yeshua then, according to Matthew 13, added two brief parables to this. And let me read them to you, and I'll leave you with these two parables today. To me, they reinforce all that he'd been saying. And he said it so majestically and so perfectly and, and so without blame the way he expressed these things, even in the English language. That's how it sounds. But we'll conclude with these two statements. They're found in Matthew 13, beginning with verse 44. After he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he continues in Matthew 13, in verse 44, and he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. In verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, and there's no greater pearl of great price than clinging to Messiah Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, there's that pearl of great price. He alone is the Savior. He alone is the Redeemer. There's no other name by which a man can be saved or a woman can be saved or a young person can be saved than the name of Yeshua. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and he sold all that he had. And you know what he did? He bought it. Will you buy Yeshua today? Will you purchase him with your life and give him all? Because he's already purchased you. We acknowledge that he's your redeemer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good work you're doing in our age. And we thank you that you're even greater than what evil might be happening on the face of the earth. We pray, Lord, that you'll continue the tremendous work you're doing in the land of Israel, among the people of Israel, that you will continue, that your name would be lifted up in every city, village, town, home in Eretz Israel. And Lord, we also pray as we go forward from here today on the rest of the activities and make our plans as you will for the things that are, have been expressed to us and are written in the communique that in all things you would be glorified. I ask these things according to the merit, the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405 842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.